Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. All right, here we go. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST. Apple Podcast app, Spotify. You hear me say those words that so you found us, right? Keep finding us. Subscribe, review the whole nine. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year, everybody. First episode of 2022. And if you listen to the last episode of 2021, I actually made a mistake. I talked to Kyle Anderson and I told him that it was the 99th episode of Subway Sports Talk. Turns out I was wrong. It was the 100th episode of Subway Sports Talk. And I wish I knew. I would have made a bigger deal out of it, but also who cares? Just another number, right? But now the 101st episode of Subway Sports Talk feels right that it's the first of 2022 with me, none other than my guy, Pat Boyle of WFAN, The Boyle and Shen Show, many other podcasts and play-by-plays. Pat, happy new year, brother. Happy new year, Petey. Can't believe it, man. It's, uh, you know, we got this thing going before uh, last NFL season. And like you said, over 100 episodes later now, here we are. So 2020 you, 2020 you, 2022, can't wait to see what it brings. Let's rock and roll. That's right. That's right. And at Pat Boyle 44, the new, the new, av- the, not avatar, the new at, if you will, how's that treating you? Is it, is it going well so far? You changed it maybe like two months ago. And now you're Pat Boyle 44 on the Instagram and the Twitters. Is that good so far? Good returns? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Salicata basically, uh, you know, handcuffed me into changing it. He goes, dude, it, it was hurting my brain listening you listening to you reading your your Twitter at uh, on the air. So he goes, thank God you changed it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's easier to probably find it, right? I mean, if you're looking, if you if you hear Pat Boyle and you're trying to search it and you just type the last name, it's easier than saying, uh, you know, eight O Y L E. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel you. It was nice because it had a good like a uh, visual aesthetic. Is that what is an aesthetic visual as well? Yeah, so it was I, it was purely aesthetic, uh, purely visual aesthetic. There you go. So, but no, either way, Pat Boyle forty four. You know, find him if you haven't heard him on the fan. I do actually want to start with something I heard you talk about on the fan. Your last shift what was it Monday night or Tuesday night? It was technically Tuesday morning. It was Monday right. night into Tuesday morning. I worked there for years. I still always still I still call it Monday night, even though I know it's Tuesday morning. But right, so Tuesday morning, I was listening to you doing a great job as always. And you had some good takes, some strong takes on the Brooklyn Nets that I definitely want to discuss because they played tonight or last night, if you're listening to this on Thursday. And Kyrie Irving made his much-anticipated return. They made a big comeback, and they won the game. So we obviously have to talk about the Nets for a minute. We'll get into that. Also, we're going to talk about our picks from Week 17. Big-time week for Pat, 4-1. and one. Not so big-time for your boy at 1-4. and four. I was riding on a high horse a little bit. I had three or four winning weeks in a row. And uh, yeah, I fell on my face a little bit. Lost uh, two bets by half a point, but we'll get into that as well with a little pick recap. But most importantly, the biggest chunk of this episode is going to be a week 18 slash playoff picture preview situation. Uh, talk about all the games that matter uh, in week 18 and all the playoff scenarios that are going to be get played out here in this final week, this extra week. That is now the, the new final week, week 18. So we have a lot to talk about. But first, let's hear from our friends from DraftKings. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, currently has 
a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. Yeah, you heard that right. Just one goal makes you a winner. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team just scores. And guess what? The NHL got rid of ties in 2005. So if you didn't know that, it doesn't matter. All you need to do is put $1 on any NHL game as soon as a goal scores, which it has to because there's no more ties, you win $100 in free bets. And guess what? Also... If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TBPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And Pat, basically, I don't want to give my hand too quick here, so I kind of want to give you the floor on the Brooklyn Nets here. When you did your show... You were talking after their third straight loss. They had gotten beat up pretty good again. The Grizzlies shorthanded and whatnot. Again, don't want to steer your thunder too much here. But it was it was a reason to be upset about their performance. They do, however, win now. So you're you know rightful to change up some things. So now the floor is yours. The Brooklyn Nets lost three in a row. They get Kyrie back. They win. If they go back to Brooklyn for the next game, he's not playing. So that's a whole nother situation. So now... How are you feeling a few days removed from your last show about the Brooklyn Nets and their outlook, you know, heading into the midway point of the season? Well, Pete, currently I, I still feel the same way. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving comes back. He looks like he hasn't missed a beat, you know, hasn't played a game since obviously last year in the playoffs and conditioning wise, he looked fine. You know, they, they kind of, they didn't pull a whole lot of punches uh, you know, the guys on the team, KD and, and Harden and Steve Nash talking about him, you know, you know, a lot of the times they say, oh, you know, we'll see how long it takes for him to get his conditioning ramped up. They were like, oh, no, Kyrie's ready to go. And, and he was ready to go, man. He looked good. You know, it didn't look like a guy that hasn't been on the court playing in an NBA game in months. So uh, that was tremendous to see. But Pete, I said it on my show on the fan. The main thing that is causing a ton of concern for me right now at this particular juncture in the season in the last two weeks now with this Nets team is they have some really big, glaring, fundamental flaws as a basketball team. And that's, they don't play any defense at all. They really don't have a lot of toughness, in my opinion, especially in their own arena. It is incredibly surprising to me to find them at 10-9 and nine at the Barkley Center and 14-3 and three on the road. The fact that they're a better road team than they are home doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, they're actually one of the best road teams in the NBA. Uh, but they don't have a lot of toughness still, in my opinion. When they get punched in the mouth, um, you know, we've seen them get destroyed on the glass time and time again. They got out-rebounded 62-33 to by Memphis the other day. And the other big thing, um, you know, when they don't have Kyrie in the starting lineup, which is still going to be every home game the rest of this year, they have no scoring depth off the bench. Um, and all three of those things reared their ugly head about as badly as they could um, even over the, over, over, especially last night against Indiana and going over the last four games, you know, it started with them 
playing back and forth in a really good game with Philadelphia last week. And then also in the last three minutes hit and boom, they just completely fold the Sixers end the game. I think it was on a nine to one run. They win by eight. Um, and then the Nets carry that into New Year's night, playing the skeleton squad for the LA Clippers. No Batum, obviously no Kawhi still. Um, no Paul George, no Kennard. They were missing a, a couple of the other guys. It was basically Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, and Terrence Mann, and, the, and, a, and, a, and a bunch of G-leaguers. And the Nets are up 13 with five minutes left, and we all know what happens. They just totally collapse yet again. Second chance points after second chance points. They give up 40 points in the fourth quarter and lose to a Clippers team that they were 13-point favorites against. And KD missed about every shot in the final couple minutes of the game. Harden was doing nothing. They had nobody to turn to either off the bench. Um, Patty Mills had an absolute dud of a game then against the Memphis Grizzlies the other night. And that was their main, that was their main tertiary scorer, right? Patty Mills has been the go-to guy. He's been their three-point shooter, especially with Joe Harris being out during these uh these last couple of weeks. And Patty goes 0 for 5 from deep. And Harden and KD, if they're not scoring 70 plus points combined, the Nets are going to lose almost every single game. And that's exactly what happened. They got destroyed in every sense of the fashion at home against Memphis. John Morant dominated them. I was joking on my show on the fan. I said when uh when Steph Curry lit it up at the at the Clays, as, as some of these Nets fans like to call it, <laughs> you heard you heard MVP chance for Steph Curry. I'm surprised we didn't hear MVP chance for John Morant from the fake Nets fans. Um and, you know, him and Desmond Bain just combined, combined to light it up against the Nets defense who couldn't close out shots. Again, I said it. They got out-rebounded 62-33. to 33. Grizzlies had over 30 second-chance points. And, again, KD and Harden, I think they only put up a combined 45. So the Nets aren't getting that third option when they're at home, um, especially because Nick Claxton at times this year, unless he's right under the bucket, can't score the basketball. The, the the honeymoon with Blake Griffin is totally over, right? He sucks. He is terrible. Like, you know, we, we made fun of him when he was in Detroit and then he came to the Nets and he could dunk a basketball again. And we're like, wow, I guess Blake Griffin's good at basketball again. No, he's shooting 19% from deep. He plays zero defense. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge still basically gives you nothing on defense. Good mid-range score off the bench for them. He's been kind of battling an injury. He had a good game against Indiana last night, going six for eight from the field. And then, really, the only guy that plays defense on this team is DeAndre Bembry. Um, and surprisingly enough, he had the biggest plus-minus uh, on the entire team. He had pl- he was a plus-24 against the Pacers, mm-hmm. went a perfect 5-for-5 five five from the field. But again, most nights you're not going to count on DeAndre Bembry to get you big buckets when needed, especially from outside the arc. So to me, when the Nets are at home still and they're without Kyrie Irving, which, as of now, that's going to be the case in the playoffs, I don't see them beating the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't see them beating the Chicago Bulls. I don't see them beating the Miami Heat. Three teams that are one tougher than them, two have better depth than them, and three, um, again, just over the course of a seven-game series, do so many things better than the Nets where if their number one game plan, if if they're not shooting the lights out, they're just, to me, they're they're just a second-round exit waiting to happen. Mm. So, look, and it was looking like another embarrassing loss against Indiana. You have Lance Stevenson going off for 20 points in the first quarter. I mean, literally just hands down, man's down the entire first quarter. And I get it. You know, the first couple of shots are like, all right, Lance Stevenson's going to hurt us from deep. And it's like, oh, shit, Lance Stevenson's hurting us from deep. And then, you you know, you start to defend. Nets didn't do it. They're down 19 at one point in the third quarter. They finally make the huge comeback. I got to give them credit in that regard. Kyrie steps up. He was huge. KD, another monster performance. 
39-8-7. And, um, and, and, and Bembry, again, was tremendous on defense. But I love Steve Nash starting David Duke Jr. in this game tonight. And I think him and Cam Thomas and Dayron Sharp have to continue to get more burn because at times when you're not shooting the ball well, like you've got to get some of these young guys who can dribble, drive, penetrate, give you some more forms of offense, give you you know better options and some different looks, so that it's not you're just not relying on KD and Harden every single time, whether it's ISO or off the pick and roll. So, uh, great comeback win for the Nets. They finally figured it out um, how to shoot the ball. But you know the Indiana Pacers with again Sabonis and Miles Turner and then Lance Stevenson, a bunch of uh, you know nobodies. O'Shane Brissett uh, still almost, was shooting sixty two percent from the field at one point. So there's still a lot of things that are that are very, very concerning with this Nets team for me. Yeah, and I hear a lot of your concerns. I'm going to unpack some of the things that I, I've been thinking of since I heard your you know segment on the show the other night and then obviously watching tonight's game. And first, I want to say about Blake Griffin because we thought about, or at least I thought about, this Nets team before the season as a team that did actually add some serious depth heading into the season, right? And every team's battling injuries and COVID and whatnot, but even without that, some of those depth pieces that we thought were reliable have not been reliable this year. Based off last year, we were looking at Blake Griffin as a steadying force on both ends who knows what to do with the basketball, kind of put it in the hoop, can pass a little bit, and he was playing good defense last year. He was a charge-taking machine, and he knew where to be. He was making some decent plays. He His renaissance is, is over, seemingly, right? Like, I'm not going to yeah. count him out forever. Like, can he get healthier and go on a little run? Maybe, but we're not counting on it. That's one big piece that we all expected, whether it be in the starting five or off the bench, to be a steadying force for one of their rotations. LaMarcus Aldridge, we didn't know we were going to get. We we're like, oh, Patty Mills is going to be a big-time uh, contributor. He's been the lone ad that actually has worked, right? He's the only guy that's actually bringing it uh, to this point. And like you said, Bembry almost playing that Bruce Brown role just with more size. He's yeah. kind of all over the place. He's helping out on the glass. He's working as a roller uh, on occasion. I saw one of the great plays he made today following up a, a Kevin Durant miss to put it back in like those are the things Bembry has to do but like you said you can't rely on him so now all of a sudden this this depth that we thought they put together with Aldridge uh, Griffin Millsap Mills Bembry Bruce Brown who has been not what he was last year and Cam Thomas it hasn't been there it has not been there at all so it's been so heavy of a burden on Kevin Durant and James Harden and it wore them out at sometimes and the the toughness thing is the real thing. But if we remember last year, and I want to remember last year, that was a, an issue in theory last year as well. And it wasn't really why they lost. Perhaps you can argue that Giannis being Giannis and, uh, you know, no, they didn't have anyone to really slow him down. Sure, you can argue that. But they were also down Kyrie and James Harden in that playoff series last year. I, I'm not, I'm not going to chalk that up as the reason why they can't make a run into the conference finals or the finals or win the finals. I think what they need unfortunately, is the three stars or at least James Harden to be back to true form uh, consistently because we saw, we saw it tonight. That trumps everything. That's the trump card for yep. them and so few teams in this league to have three guys or sometimes just two guys who can do so much every night that it doesn't matter. And some of your other floors, flaws are just not going to show up. They had that last year while we were doubting how are they going to play defense? Like How are they going to share the ball? And none of it mattered. And with all the negativity that came out about the Nets over the past week, week and a half or so, with the three-game losing streak, the lack of toughness, the Kyrie drama, all that stuff, they're still second in the Eastern Conference. They're still 24-12. and 12. 
like I, I heard your rant and I was sitting there saying like, yeah, a lot of these points make a lot of sense. I just don't know if it's going to matter over the course of time. I think you're going to have these little runs where it's ugly and they don't look right. But I think I, I feel like I should say, I know like I, I would bet on it that they are going to be a top three seed, if not top two seed with ease this year. And then going into the playoffs with healthy Kevin Durant and healthy James Harden and half a Kyrie, I'd still take them over the bulls. I think the only team I truly don't think they're better than right now is Milwaukee when their big three is healthy. So to all your points being valid, I just don't think it really matters that much because we're nitpicking all this stuff and they're still 12 games above 500. They're still one of the best teams in the entire NBA and Kevin Durant and James Harden can pretty much do it themselves. And that's something that I I'm banking on. I don't know if it's right to bank on that, but basically I'm saying my worry meter is not very high as long as Kevin Durant's healthy. Yeah. And that's valid. You know, again, if they, if it's KD Harden and Kyrie, we saw tonight, they can fall down by 19 play relatively little defense and still put up 129 and, and shoot a team, uh, you know, out of their own building. The only thing that I worry about again is, is Kyrie going to get, is he going to get vaccinated? Because if not, I, even you said half a Kyrie, half a playoff series, I, you know, to, to, to break up that momentum, to break up that chemistry, basically every two games, you know, again, when you need it, you, if you have all three of them, Pete, I agree it. with you. They can, they can, they can beat anybody in the league and a best of seven, KD, Kyrie Harden, they could beat anybody in the league, but when they don't have all three of them for a best of seven series, I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, it's, it's really one of those hypotheticals that you and I can make all the great points we want and it's just not going to matter. And that's kind of how I felt when I've heard a lot of this hate, not just from, from your show, but in general, people saying, oh, these guys are soft. Like these guys have no toughness. They have real problems. Like all these things are terrible in Brooklyn. I'm like, eh, doesn't feel so terrible in Brooklyn. You know, like as long as Kevin Durant's healthy, a lot of things feel pretty good in Brooklyn, actually. And I, I think I have this... um this pre 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 position pre position pre I don't know what the hell I'm trying to say determined sure that works uh this idea of where I I automatically kind of I kind of wait when especially Knicks fans but any fan of not the Nets comes out and tries to crap all over the Nets for their fans being whack or um them not being a true number one team in the conference whatever it is because I'm like yeah, with all that being said, I still really like their odds. Like, I still, really, <laughs> I just don't, I just almost don't care. I'm like, yeah, they can kind of have a terrible run because guess what? They might win eight of 10 just the next two weeks. And that's just going to put everything that we said to rest. And we're going to be like, oh, yeah, no, no, they're, they're fine. They're totally fine. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to see here. Yeah. I mean, again, that, that very well can happen. It's just these stretches that do happen. They're concerning because it's not like they're losing three out of four till you know to some of the best teams in the conference. Yeah. They've lost they they almost lost four in a row to shorthanded Indiana, shorthanded Memphis, shorthanded very shorthanded Clippers and the and Philadelphia, who up until about four games ago was five hundred. Now the Sixers they're looking like they're getting back to normal. They've now won five in a row, but you know again like the Clippers had had nobody for that game. The Grizzlies were down Brooks, Melton, uh, Kyle Anderson, and Indiana was basically down all but, you know, Sabonis and Miles Turner. And like, no to problem. me, like those, de those defensive lapses can't happen over the course of four straight games. It happens for a quarter or two. Fine. You know, 
it's been four straight games where yeah. they don't play any defense when it matters most. Yeah, it's 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 true. It's a good point, and uh, you're you're totally right because odds are based off the histories, really just of Kyrie. You know, James Harden was hurt last year, but he's basically never been hurt before in his career. So to say he's injury prone is incorrect. Based off the history of these three, and specifically Kyrie, and because of the Vax stuff, you're not going to have the big three. So you are right. You and everybody else who's been critical is right because if they really want to win a championship. When Kyrie's not there, which he inevitably will not be there for all of it, they need to pick up the slack in those other categories. I don't know how they're going to do that right now. They don't have financial flexibility to like pull off some trades. I mean, you never know what who they can flip and who they can get, but the buyout market has to be big for them again, unfortunately. And I don't know who's out there to, to save them. I don't know if Thaddeus Young is the guy who can be that tough rebounding force who can play some defense and do a little bit on offense. And I don't know if he's going to choose the nets, right? Like he's going to kind of have the pick of the litter if he does get bought out by San Antonio, but they, they obviously are a front runner for any big time buyout candidate along with Milwaukee, along with the warriors, if you will. And like some other teams at the top for people who want to get a chance to win a ring. So that you're, you are 100% right. And my take of saying like, eh, it doesn't matter is naive in the sense because of the inevitability of missing Kyrie for minimum of half a series. Minimum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, and don't forget about the GM either. Don't forget about LeBron. He'll definitely uh, yeah. try to improve that squad because they look like they're finding their groove now. I, I feel like he's I, you know, LeBron and, and the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, no, he's finding his groove. I don't know if oh, the yeah. Lakers are finding the groove. Yeah. He's finding his groove. I think that's now what nine out of the last 10 games. He's put up 30 points or more. Which is he's just, he's on an absurd run right now, and when you don't have Anthony Davis playing and sucking like he has this year, uh, that makes that even more possible. And but Russell, yeah, I mean, first game with no turnover in 407 games. <laughs> I, yeah, I want to give a golf clap to that one. You're like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, no, honestly, because I've I've watched I've I've watched like way more Lakers in the last two weeks than I than I should have. I think I've watched like six out of the last seven games and like a solid like hour and a half plus of them. Uh, Westbrook, he's honestly cleaned up. I mean, like you said, it showed itself perfectly. Zero turnovers in the last game, but he's honestly cleaned up a lot of the mistakes that he was normally making. He still can't hit a three, but he's taking less of them. Um, right. You know, when we talk about like it's it's crazy to think of when we talk about in the season, like oh, like let's. I wonder how long it's going to take for these guys to find their groove and their chemistry, and then all of a sudden it feels like you see them in May, and it's like, but hmm. it's always crazy to kind of watch it happen before your eyes. Right. I feel like at least between LeBron and Westbrook and, and guys like, um, you know, like Avery Bradley and, uh, you know, you're like, I'm starting to see that really kind of gel together over the course of these last three or four games. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a And all that stuff with the gelling is taking that much longer because of, you know, two to five people being out of lineup for 10 days throughout the past two months. Right. So it's taking even longer and it is, it is a slow grind. And as we learned last year with the Knicks, which will, you know, we'll end up the basketball talk here pretty much. But as we learned last year at the Knicks, a team at the halfway point isn't a team at the end of the year, let alone a team at the quarter point isn't the team at the half point. Like every single quarter of the season, teams can really change. And it's quite rare to have a team be that team. You know, we always say that dude, that team for all four quarters of a season. Like the Warriors seem like they can be that team. Like are the Bulls not going to hit a rut? This entire season, I'm hard pressed to believe that, you know, maybe it is because of an injury. Maybe it is because DeRozan starts getting doubled and it doesn't work out right. Like, I don't know what it might be, but 
most teams don't pull off a season without a bad rut. Lakers had theirs already, and maybe they're on the flip the flip up. Nets might be having it now because they're like, whatever. They're like, hey, Kyrie might come back. Who cares? We're almost to the all-star break. James Harden needs to go to some strip clubs. Who knows what it is? <laughs> uh, but the Knicks proved that most last year because they were a extremely mediocre team last year. And now, and then at the second half, when they got Derrick Rose and they got some some things going, and Julius Randle went even further, they got good and they went above 500, made the run to the four seed. I'm not saying they're doing that again, but as an example, if you ask a Knicks fan one year ago today, we're pleased with the progress that the team is making, and we're happy to be playing competitive basketball, be in the mix. Maybe we can get a six to ten, six to uh, six to eight seed, and then boom, you you rattle off a couple. Right. And then your whole outlook looks different. You just mentioned the Sixers who won five straight. And now they're like, ah, thank God we're kind of back in the right portion of the standings. So when we talk again in a week and three weeks and whatever, it'll be an interesting conversation. So anything else on basketball before we uh, move on? No, I'm ready to dive into uh, some pigskin, baby. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to say actually is, uh, is Cleveland is, is real. And that's the same. I say it, I say it like that because of what I just talked about with the Knicks, right? Like they could do the anti-Knicks here. Like they were one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference up until this point. Now Garland was just out with health and safety protocol. Mobley missed a little time and whatever. They're four games above 500. I think they're real because I do love Garland. I do love Jared Allen. Mobley looks awesome. But like, would you be shocked if all of a sudden they're a 500 team? You know? I would because I I think you you can make the argument that they've already hit the rut of their season and they're still four games above 500. Like they had a two two three week stretch where they had no Mobley, no Allen, no Markinen, no Garland. Sexton's obviously out for the year. They basically were missing their entire starting lineup and they were able to stay with their heads above water and they were in a really good spot. And they do they cover like they you might as well bet them every night because they cover almost every fucking game. They're like 23 and 13 against the spread. I think. but, you know, right. I love what Jared Allen has become. I saw your tweet today on that. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I uh, love watching Garland play. Again, he's kind of taken over with the absence of Sexton. And then, you know, they've got some really good uh, bang-up shooters. Like, you know, I love watching Markin and go to work. So I'm a big fan of Cleveland as well. I think they are legit. I think they're going to make the playoffs no matter what this year. And I think they could be the, like you said, the Knicks of last year. I think they could be a real dangerous uh, get in the first round. Mm, mm. Yes, and you know what? One team I, I do like to keep an eye on is Toronto. My boy Fred Van Vliet balling out. Scotty Barnes as well. He I love that you brought up Toronto too because I wanted to bring them up because I I um sneaky, sneaky right I had now. them in a parlay. Well, I mean they're they're getting everybody back now. Right. You know, another team that had a bunch of guys out. They're getting everybody out. They're getting everybody back. I love OG running the break for them, and then you know Freddie Van Vliet's an absolute stud. Siakam's been going off the last couple of games. Scotty B is, you know, he's twenty year old playing like he's twenty six. So. They are finding their stride. They're doing it in front of empty, you know, an empty arena the last couple of games as well. So I give right. a lot of credit to Toronto. Yeah, well, better than playing in Tampa for them, right? Like that's just like yeah. a season they're gonna throw away. They're gonna burn the record books for that one. <laughs> I, know, I know I said we we're done with basketball. But one last thing, man. When I watch Fred Van Vliet, I think to myself, like, not that I was on an island, the only one saying it, but I would have loved for the Knicks to go for him. And I know it's kind of like a guy who does he raise your ceiling a ton? Maybe, maybe not. I think he raises a ceiling, but he's really more of a floor raiser. And boy, when you watch the Knicks sometimes and their lack of point guard uh, ability on both ends, what a steadying force who just seems to be getting better and better. I love watching Fred Van V play, play defense, offense, pass, shoot the whole nine. Ah, 
he would have been a great guy to have on the Knicks, but I understand why he wasn't a big time target of, of an overpay or a big time contract. So whatever, I digress. Um, let's move on. Talk about some football stuff. Subway sports talk. Also, I forgot to do, I forgot to do the DraftKings read. I, I'll, I'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post. Don't worry about it. I'll get the producer on it. We don't have one of those. That's me. So I'll just do it later. Anyways, <laughs> let's, let's talk about a recap of our week 17 picks, Pat, where it was a flip of the script. For being 100 right now, I was having a solid year. I was on a four-week win streak, and you were having a little bit of a tough go, but you started to flip the script, and boy, did it switch up this week. I really needed to be with you, Pat, and have that winning week. We could have done a huge number on our winning to, on our total of wins this season, but unfortunately, I went one and four. But fortunately, you went four and one. Big-time week for you, Pat. First things first, before we go through the picks and play our favorite game, Regrets, or no regrets. How'd you feel on the four and one? Felt good. Felt good, man. And, and, um, you know, it's about time. I finally carried us for one week. Cause you've been carrying me for most of this season. I mean, I'm still 15 games under 500 here. I think 35 and 50 now, uh, which is pretty brutal, but you know, again, it's a long year. We got one week of the regular season plus playoffs, you know, I'm gearing up for a late run here, but, um, no, I mean, it just felt good. You know, I just, I liked, uh, I, I feel like I got the perfect mix of the same game teaser where I saw a fit, you know, the Tennessee Miami game. I thought the, the, you know, you could hammer the under as it was. I think there was going to be a ton of points. I think both unders actually hit. Um, so I obviously love teasing them down. Um, you know, getting, getting the Titans plus three and a half. Again, I thought they were going to win. I thought the under was going to hit. So to me, that was a no brainer. Uh, taking the Bears money line again, you just keep betting against the Giants when they're going to roll out fucking Mike Glennon under center. Now you get Jake Fromm on Sunday and with uh, Washington wanting to kick their ass. That's probably another going to be another solid teaser option. And again, the under in that one. And then, you know, the couple of the other bets I made um, two, three team teasers and then another same game with, with Vegas, who I thought there, I thought eight and a half was way too many points. You know, I know we've all fallen in love with Indianapolis. I mean, Las Vegas has been a playoff contender basically all this season, and they've got a chance to win it in on Sunday night. So I thought there was too many points, and I definitely loved getting them with the over, which was also very low. Uh, but then the two three-team teasers, um, the one that actually doesn't work is Tampa Bay. You know, they only win by four instead of six. But getting Kansas City as a touchdown dog, getting Arizona as two-touchdown dog, getting Green Bay to only need to win by a touchdown against Sean Mannion. I mean, I I, I love these bets, and I, I love most of the bets I place, but this week, it's, <laughs> this week it obviously worked out pretty well. Yeah, for sure. And the Raiders one is a big-time hit. And, you know, if people are new to the pod, we usually do a segment where it's like I either I regret this pick or I don't regret this pick because I feel like I made the right pick. Well, let us let me start us off here and tell you that I hate myself because I fell for it, man. Pat, I really, really fell for it. And when I saw your pick, I was like, I really I'm going to get screwed on this one. And that was the Indianapolis Colts teasing them down to minus two, which felt like such a phenomenal leg of a teaser there. Because when I look for as I've talked about all season long, when I look for teaser legs, I look for teams in that uh, plus two range to get them up above plus seven or plus one to up above plus seven, whatever. And uh, minus eight and a half, minus seven and a half to get them down under three, right? And then the Colts were the perfect match. They were minus eight and a half. I got it to two and a half. I was like, boom, this is a win. Bada bing, bada boom. Let me add something to it. And then I was like, oh my God, everybody took this in a teaser this week, didn't they? And it was the only game in that 
spread really like in that margin between seven and a half and eight and a half. And I was like, I'm going to lose this one. And you were 100% right. You had the Raiders at 13 and a half. So I kind of hate myself on that one because I fell into the trap. Vegas is getting smarter every week as they do every year. And this time they didn't allow the most simple teaser that everybody and their mother wanted to put in hit. And not that they allow things to happen, but you, you know what I'm saying? So that one, that one sucked a little bit more. The ones that I will say this, that's the Buffalo Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles combined loss of one point. I had the Bills at minus 14 and a half and I had the Eagles at minus four and a half Bills by 14 Eagles by four. Both suck. Both were pretty close to how I expected them to go. Sands like a few little things with the Eagles specifically. I talked about how I actually expect this to be a close game in the first half. And then I think the Eagles will take control, win by a touchdown. They were right there. Like they could have, you know, one thing here, one thing there. They could have, should have, would have. You could also argue that the uh, football team had a chance to score at the end there as well and take the lead. So maybe I should have regret that one a little bit. But on the Bills front, man, they were pretty much dominant the entire time. They had one turnover uh, in the red zone that definitely hurt them with putting points on the board. But they, they were never in doubt against Atlanta. And all of a sudden, you know, you're up 14 early in the second half. You're like, this is going to be a breeze. And then Matt Ryan just starts driving down the field. And you're like, how is this happening? But I feel good about that one. When you see a 14 and a half point spread and you really like a team and you go for it and you lose by half a point. Yeah, sure. Maybe that's 14. That's why that's the hook there. But I think in uh 10 times out of 10 times, I think the bills cover that spread up more often than not. So I don't regret that one too much. Yeah, I think the only thing that hurts is Josh Allen throwing three picks. You know, right. there's three three exactly. possessions right there. Hasn't happened all year. So that one definitely stung. Um, the Colts one, regret. And then I got to give myself at least one thing here. I did take the Cardinals. That was my only hit of the week. I felt like I was tipping my cap to you, Pat, when I was making that pick because I really have stayed away or bet against the Cardinals a lot this year uh, to varying degrees of success. I hit it. Once I lost it another time, but I really haven't bet on the Cardinals at all this season. And this time I just felt it. That line stunk. I just, I just saw it. I was like, I don't even know if my football brain agrees with this, but looking at lines for 17 weeks, this one has stink written all over it. And I'm at least proud of myself for taking the Cardinals. My only win of the week. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a lot of points, six and a half for a team that obviously had been playing like shit lately, but we see how good they've been this year. Sooner or later, teams adjust. They get out of the rut one way or another. A big game like that, um, you know, usually gets you gets you pretty fired up. So it just came down to whether or not Kyler was going to limit the turnovers. They did. And, um, you know, they control the line of scrimmage. So that was a huge performance from them. Yeah, and we'll talk about the Cowboys and the Cardinals now in a, in a moment or two as we talk about these uh, playoff matchups and how things can break out in Week 18. And also we'll kind of discuss our thoughts heading into betting week 18 because you know just because it's a a weird week and a lot of games are pointless that doesn't mean we're not going to bet them of course we're going to bet them you know me and patty Boyle will have the picks for you out this weekend saturday and sunday uh so we'll talk about how we think betting into week 18 or the old week 17 with some games that may or may not matter yeah i'm going to say this second toughest week to bet week one toughest week to bet final week of the regular season because Yeah. Half, the, half the games are meaningless. I hate betting on games where you've got two teams um, that are out of it. 
you know, I think Monday night was perfect, right? Steelers, Browns, you get the Steelers playing for everything. Browns playing for nothing. Baker's been playing hurt. Shouldn't have been playing. Should not have been playing the last several weeks. We can have a conversation in that of its own. I don't know if we have time for it. Uh, but yeah, I just thought Steelers at home, uh, not even reading too much into the narrative of Ben's final game at Heinz Field, but you knew they were going to be fired up. They still have a chance, mathematical chance to make the playoffs. Meant nothing for the Browns. So I'd love that. They're getting them at what was they two point favorites when it closed. When you yeah. have one team playing for something, another team playing for nothing, it's easier. When you got two teams playing for nothing, as we'll have four or five or six games this weekend like that, that's always tough. Yes. And, and we have, you know, more games than you would expect that do have some sort of meaning. But even with that, you can argue how much a team's going to care. For example, the Cincinnati Bengals this week taking on said Cleveland Browns. Technically, they can gain a spot or two in the standings, but they can't get up to the one seed. And is there a huge difference between, you know, who they end up playing if they get the two or the three or the four, wherever they can end up? Because realistically, you know, if you say, oh, I want to play, you know, I want to get the uh, the Raiders or, or the Chargers at the seven seat. And then however it breaks out, you end up getting the Colts who you didn't want because of how it broke, broke out. Like you can't really play that game, right? You can't be like, oh, we're going to lose on purpose. So we get this team instead of that team because that's not how sports work. Things tend to backfire in that regard. So in games like the Chiefs who do have a chance still to get the one seed, the Bengals can get up to two, but they can't get down too far. It's it's a weird one, right? So that's the type of stuff for me. Like I'm staying away, far, far away from the Bengals. Like, are they going to rest Joe Burrow or are they going to try to beat the crap out of uh, Cleveland? Right now, the Browns are actually minus six. So I guess they are resting Joe Burrow. Burrow's not playing. He said he's not playing. Okay, so even, there you go. They're thinking it ahead of me. Um, but that's kind of what I'm trying to think about here. So quickly to go through the schedule and some of the games we're going to talk about. Chiefs do play the Broncos on Saturday. That is meaningful because if the Chiefs win, then the Titans know that they need to win to maintain that one seed. They're playing the Texans on Sunday. Then we got Cowboys-Eagles. That matters for the Eagles a little bit in regards to seeding, but not much. They already clinched a playoff spot. It just depends if they're going to be six or seven. Um, then uh, the very interesting, not very interesting, but kind of very important and interesting, Colts-Jaguars game does matter. Ravens-Steelers game does matter. Um, the Saints need to win to have a chance to stay in. We're going to go through some of these who needs to win, who needs to lose uh, scenarios as well. Rams 49ers matter because the Rams haven't clinched the division yet. Niners still have a chance. The Patriots Dolphins matter because the Patriots still have a chance to technically get the division. Uh, the Cardinals, same thing with the Rams. They can still get in there. And then last but not least, the Chargers and Raiders Sunday night. I think I forgot to mention the Bills. They do play the Jets who have been frisky. They're 16 point favorites. And Sneaky, like that game matters too because Bills and Patriots, like they want to win that division. They want to get a home playoff game. So sneaky more games than you would think matter this week, Pat, based off your memory and no scientific data that we have in front of us. Does it feel like more games than usual that kind of matter in this week? I would say it feels like you always have between five and six games in the last week that matter. So I guess, yeah, maybe maybe one or two more games than you normally think. Um, Some games half matter. You know, if that makes sense. So I don't know what that means. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm looking at it now. I mean, let's, let's see how many games is that, how many games matter. Do the chiefs matter? Can they get the, uh, they can get the one seed, right? So that game matters to them. Yeah. And they're playing before the Titans. So even more reason for them to take it serious, to put the pressure on the Titans. That game matters for them. The game matters for Dallas, Philly. Uh, so you have two right there. Uh, let's see. 
Colts game matters, even though they're playing the Jaguars. They obviously have to win. There's three. Steelers-Ravens matters. That's four. Titans matters. That's five. Again, even though they're playing the Texans, they can get the one seed. Um, yeah, Bills, six. Niners-Rams, seven. Patriots-Dolphins, eight. Seahawks-Cardinals, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, Rams. The Rams yeah, nine. And then Chargers. Yeah, so you have 10 games that legit definitely mean something. So, yeah. Uh, and the Saints. Definitely more than normal. And the Saints. Not eliminated. So it's it's going to be it's gonna be pretty crazy. It's going to be a kind of a wild Sunday trying to see who has the tiebreakers. And if this person wins and that person loses, then who gets in? The most wild scenario of all scenarios here is the Baltimore Ravens. They are eight and eight. Uh, tied with the Dolphins as far as record, but the way it can break down after the week 18 is if the Colts lose, if the Ravens take care of their own business and beat the Steelers, and I believe if it's the Raiders beat the Chargers. Now, Pat, I think you might have said the opposite before, but basically they need to win. They need the Colts to lose, and they need a certain outcome in the Chargers Raiders, and then they're in, which would be a wild turn of events. Yeah, I'd just like to go on record. I said on CBS Sports Radio when I did a show four weeks ago when the Ravens were 8-4, and four, I said it would not shock me if the Ravens lose every single game the rest of the year and finish 8-9. and nine. They're one loss away from doing it. You nailed it, and it's unfortunate because they've lost three of those games by one point, if I'm not mistaken. That sucks. Yeah, two, really? two, straight, two straight games with a two-point conversion, um, and then the, the two-point loss to the Browns with Tyler Huntley. Um, and a one point loss to the Rams. Wow. So they lost four games by five points. Brutal. God, that's like an honorary coach of the year vote to John Harbaugh without Lamar, without a running back, without any good receivers and no without, secondary. Without any defensive backs. And they're still competing with some good teams too. some good teams. It's, it's actually kind of impressive, but uh, unlikely for them to get in. So let's start off and let's talk about the AFC first. Actually, you know what? Let's let's hold on the AFC because I want to end with Chargers Raiders as that is kind of the pinnacle moment of Week 18, the, the final game uh, on Sunday night. So let's start off with the NFC. The only teams left uh, to actually get a spot are the 49ers and the Saints. The Eagles clinched based off tie breaks with the Saints because they beat the Saints this year. So the Eagles are in. Whether they're six or seven is still up for debate. Uh, if the Niners win against the Rams, they're in. If they lose against the Rams and the Saints win, then it's Saints and Eagles who get those final two spots. So that's that's definitely one to watch. But let's start at the top first and foremost, Pat. A division we've talked about since our preview this season, the NFC West. Right now, the Rams have a win and in situation. They're 12-4. and four. Cardinals got a big win last week against the Cowboys we just touched on. But they do technically still have a chance. Heading into the playoffs, do you feel strongly yet about the Rams and their chances to actually make a splash here. And, you know, do you think they're going to take care of business this week? Um, damn man, they've been a, uh, they've been a probably one of the toughest teams to gauge this year, considering how good their record is. And um, yeah, I mean, when you first and foremost, when you look at their game this weekend, you know, playing the 49ers at home, you've got a, a San Francisco team that right now is in the playoffs, has a chance. To, I don't know if we know the status uh, at this moment of Jimmy G, if he's going to end up playing on Sunday. Um, that's something that they're, I think, assessing throughout the week here. If he plays, 
I'd say San Francisco has a good shot to beat them. You know, this is a matchup that they own every single year. It seems like Shanahan owns McVay, right, with the jet sweeps and getting Debo Samuel involved and their ability as a defense to shut down L.A.'s run game. They own that matchup. If it's Trey Lance, obviously you give the advantage to the Rams. Um, But in the playoffs, I just – I don't know, man. I would love to trust Matt Stafford, right? Like I would love all those years of karma of him having to play in Detroit, especially after Calvin Johnson retired. I would love to them for them to pay off for him with a trip to the Super Bowl. I just don't I just don't know if they can. I really don't know if they can. And look, offensively, like they've they've hit their stride again after they had their rut. Cooper Cup's a legit MVP candidate. I've said it time and time again. Him and Jonathan Taylor have to be included in this MVP discussion. It can't just be Rodgers or Brady because the roles that they play in their offense, their offense would not be the same. It wouldn't even be close without them. Cup makes the Rams offense goes he go. He catches 10, 12 balls every single game, 100-plus yards every single game. Uh, he's single-handedly one of the biggest threats in the entire sport. So just that alone can make the Rams dangerous. The fact that then Stafford has developed the chemistry with Odell, um, and Van Jefferson has, uh, you know, gotten better as the year has gone on. Then you talk about them again. Who the hell thought we were going to have, uh, we were going to have, um, you know, Cam Akers back and, um, and Daryl and Daryl Henderson. So. Wait, Cam you know, Akers is back? Yeah. What? How did I not see that? That's one. That's my boy right there. Oh my God. That's huge. I'm also, I'm also mixing up Cam. Whoa. I'm at, I'm mixing up Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson right now. Cam Akers is the one who had the Achilles injury before the season, right? Or is that Henderson? That was that was Akers. That was Akers. That was Akers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's back. Holy smokes. I did not even know that. Obviously, he'll probably be used limited because uh, he's just back from Achilles. Daryl Henderson, I don't see. Daryl Henderson is going to be back, I'm, I'm pretty sure, before the playoffs start. Right. I know they – I think they have the window. They think they're going to activate him off IR. Um. At the end of this week, either way, again, the, the surprise, the, the news that them getting Cam Akers back was like fucking breakthrough medicine that he ruptured his Achilles or tore his Achilles. And he's going to be able to come back here this year for the playoffs. So if you get that ground game going, you know, again, if you can make the Rams about as balanced of an offense as possible, yes, they have a shot. They have a shot to win a Super Bowl. Um, and then it, t- it just comes down to Ken Stafford avoid the, the couple of games where we've seen this year where he throws two to three picks and they come early and often, right? When San Francisco beat the hell out of them the first time, two picks in the first three drives, I uh, threw two picks in the first half a couple of weeks ago. That's the thing. If you can limit the turnovers from Stafford, this team's de- we know the defense is good enough. We know the secondary with Jalen Ramsey and the front seven's good enough. It comes down to, to me, in my opinion, can Matt Stafford be a Super Bowl quarterback in the playoffs this year? I don't know if I'm ready to, to believe that as a guy who has wanted to believe that all along as a Stafford, you know, truther, if you will. And then definitely a guy who was pulling for Stafford this year in Los Angeles. I want to say that, but I'm with you, Pat. It's really, really hard to get there based off of how this season has went, even in some of his most electric games with the biggest numbers and the biggest throws. There's these moments where things are just not looking super sharp and it doesn't, always look like it's just decision-making. Like sometimes it looks like a bad decision. Sometimes it looks like his, his arm is just not right or his body's not right, disallowing his arm to, to work properly, right? Like whether it's his back, hip, whatever it may be. And I can't get there. I can't get to a point where I'm saying, no, I'm all in. Stafford's fine. Stafford's going to crush. It. He's going to show up for the moment. 
because what he has shown us this year is that he's not really going to be that guy right now. And again, is it decision-making? Is it injury? Doesn't really matter at this point because the mistakes are mistakes. And San Francisco, I was thinking going into this game when I looked at the line the first time earlier this week, I was like, you know what? If Trey Lance is in there, man, it's, it's Rams all the way. But then you think about what happened last time you played, like you just highlighted. It may not matter because of the number that they've had over the Rams uh, in the past where the Niners just have their number and it's the defense in that last game. It didn't really matter what the offense did too much because the Rams offense couldn't get anything going and they turned them over and had points out of it. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I want so badly to be like, Oh no, you know, Odell's bringing this to the offense. Cooper cup is that Tyler Higby's really good. Stafford's going to be just fine. Cam makers, but none of those things outside of Cooper cup and a decent tight end play out of Tyler Higby feel like a sure thing. Cause even with Odell's five touchdowns in Los Angeles, which is a huge upgrade for him from Cleveland, what was going on before that he hasn't eclipsed hundred yards yet. He hasn't been incredibly impactful outside of scoring some touchdowns here and there. So I want to get there so badly because I want to see Stafford succeed. Not ready to say it. Not ready to say it. And I don't know if this uh, week can really prove me anything in either direction, like for good or for bad. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be here right down the middle with them waiting and seeing with my hands up. Yeah, well, I think McVeigh's got to really try to get, you know, try to get the best formations possible for them to get the best bunch sets where you get um, Higby, now excuse me, when you get Cup and Beckham lining up next to each other, um, if you can really force teams to secondaries to either have to play cover two or cover three or even possibly man, where you can get Cup going over the middle, you can get Beckham going as your home, home run ball, and then you kind of force that safety, those two safeties on the top of, all right, w- w- do we want to pick up Cup from going across the middle 20 yards? Do we, who wants to pick up Beckham going down the field? And now you're worrying about two of the big options. And then, of course, you've got all the underneath stuff with Higby, with uh, Van Jefferson, with the check down running back. That's ideally what L.A. wants to be able to do is to force teams to have to cover every single one of those guys on every play and then also have to worry about stopping the run. You know, that that's that's how you can take Matt Stafford. I, w- I wouldn't say out of it, but that's how you can, you know, and I don't want to say make him a game manager because he's not with the arm that he has. But that is how you can kind of, you know, limit the mistakes that you would probably see from him, especially in big game situations, especially when you're going up against um, big time secondaries in the playoffs. Like if you see a Green Bay with Jair Alexander, who's coming back either this week or next week, um, you know, like a, like a San Francisco secondary, like a, um, like an Arizona secondary with Buda Baker, those are going to be all important for him. Yeah. And they got a mixed bag with Arizona this year. They got smoked early and they got their number back, uh, in round two, round three, especially those division matchups. You see each other in the playoffs, man, Woohoo! you get the whole bag and you, then it comes down to coaching. And, you know, we want to say McVay has an edge on a lot of guys. And then sometimes it's not that simple to really feel the edge from McVay. There's a lot of times where I'm watching the Rams and I'm saying, I thought McVay was supposed to be this innovator. I thought McVay was supposed to be this guy who's pushing the limits and doing all these things. And then sometimes he feels like a conservative coach. He feels like a guy who is not exactly pushing the limits like he was supposed to be or talked about to be. And instead he is not going for it on fourth downs. He is kicking field goals when, He's not exactly uh, supposed to. He should be going for more points. And it's is it a trust thing with Stafford? Is it something uh, about his coaching 
progression that hasn't quite progressed the way we all predicted. So I'm not really sure, but I look forward to seeing them play because if that defense starts to step up, as we saw Aaron Donald and Von Miller get busy a little bit last week, uh, they can also win games by owning the run game and playing good defense. So they're in it. They're one of the top teams in the NFC for a reason. They're going to stay that way as far as the odds are concerned to uh, win the NFC, to be in the Super Bowl, to win the Super Bowl. But trust-wise, trust it's hard to get all the way around on them. Let's move on to our next uh, interesting team here and stay in the division with the Arizona Cardinals. They turned a page last week to have a huge win, as we highlighted before, over the Cowboys. Pat, they've been your team all along. I know you've been sticking with them. You've been riding with them. The big thing, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins out, but the big thing is that Kyler was crisp. Kyler looked quick this past weekend against Dallas. Did you see enough to reboost that confidence after the three-game slide? I mean, I saw enough in, in terms of beating Dallas who, I mean, look, and, until they knock that, until they knock the uh, the stereotype of the Cowboys collapsing in January, like until we see them go to the Super Bowl, that's going to be the storyline. That's going to be the, the character uh, trait that haunts them forever, right? So I'm not really worried about them beating the Dallas Cowboys. What I am worried about is them being able to beat Tampa Bay or Green Bay or the LA Rams um, because as high as I was on the Arizona Cardinals coming into the season and saying that they're going to make the NFC championship game to me, it's just not possible without DeAndre Hopkins, right? One of the top three, definitely one of the top five, if not one of the top three receivers in the game. I, I just don't know if it's possible, you know, I mean, there's really nothing else to say for me, for, for them, for the Arizona Cardinals and that without DeAndre Hopkins, they're going to have to have an incredible run game. Their offense, led by the center Rodney Hudson, who's an All-Pro center, who's one is their best lineman on the on the line. You know, guys with DJ Humphreys and Kelvin Beecham, they're going to have to run block their asses off, and they're going to have to protect Kyler Murray every single time he drops back if they want to have a chance to uh, to get to an NFC Championship game. Because without DeAndre Hopkins, their offense takes that much of a hit. Where you know you're relying on Christian Kirk as your one, AJ Green as your two. Rondell Moore, I thought he was going to have much bigger season than he has. He's had he's had it in spurts, hasn't really been their guy. Zach Ertz has been a huge pickup for them, but even then, their offense is just not good enough to stand up with Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and the L.A. Rams uh, without Hopkins. So that or their defense is just going to have to take it to an entirely new level, uh, something that we haven't seen from Vance Joseph's um, defense in the past. And, you know, we saw it last year with Tampa Bay. Um, if Arizona wants to be able to be that team this year, that's what their, their defense is going to have to play out of their minds. Yeah. And the interesting thing that, you know, we might be lucky enough to see is a rematch right now. If things go as, as planned, if you will, as like the favorites win, if the Rams take care of business, win division, we will have a Cardinals Cowboys rematch in week one, something that we'll all look forward to greatly, but two teams that are fluttering, even though the Cardinals did just win and say they win again this week. Like you said, there's not a ton of confidence there, and, and there's not a ton of confidence in Dallas either. So that rematch will be a fun one. And just one last question on the NFC, Pat. Does anybody outside of New Orleans want to see the Saints in the playoffs? Like, man, their defense can be awesome, and Cam Jordan is what a pleasure to watch him work on the defensive line. But, boy, can their offense be absolutely laborious sometimes. I, can anyone outside of New Orleans actually say they want to see the Saints in the playoffs? Um, if they were, if they were able to win the South and get a game in the Superdome, I'd say yes. Them playing on the road to me, you know, you could say defense travels their defense. I've been hyping up their defense all year long. 
I mean, it's just it's crazy that they were five and two with Jameis Winston at quarterback. I've been saying it on every medium possible Twitter, on CBS Sports Radio, on the fan. I want Russell Wilson to the Saints because I think they're a Super Bowl team next year if they get him. Um, yeah, I if I want I, I want Russell Wilson so badly in New Orleans for no like for no. I'm not a Saints fan. I I don't love Russ that much. I think the let Russ cook thing, you know, ultimately started the downfall of the Seahawks uh, franchise as we know it. But him in New Orleans, oh my god, that makes so much sense. It looks so good. So again. To me, they're not winning a playoff game with Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, Ian Book, whoever the hell you want to throw under center for them, um, unless they get another team that is so bad offensively that has kind of snuck in, um, which, you know, off the top of my head here, looking at the, the the playoff contenders in the NFC, most of them have good offenses, and they're going to play one of the division winners. So them having to play Dallas, them having to play Tampa Bay, them having to play the Rams or Green Bay, I don't see it. Maybe Dallas would be their best shot of a team that they could beat. Um, we, you know, we saw them play. What was that? That Thursday night in December, and they got crushed. So, now nah. uh, with Taysom Hill playing quarterback, I don't see them winning a playoff game. The only way I'd say it'd be interesting is if they get Tampa in round one. Like that would be interesting because of the history there in the past two years and how they shut out Brady just a few weeks ago. Yeah, that would be yeah. That would be the only way I'd say, okay, I'm interested now. He got me. I mean, granted, I'll be interested in every game no matter what because the NFL and we love it. But if that rematch comes comes about, then sign me up. I'm here for it. And, and you know what? Like, I don't want to say this because I don't want to see it happen. But if this if the Saints get matched up with the Rams too, can't you fathom an, uh, a dud for the Rams offense where all of a sudden the Saints are winning 13-10 going into the fourth quarter or something stupid like that? Like, I... It's fathomable to me too. I, I I just don't want to see it. Like I I think they actually could do a stupid win. Like they could win one of those dumb games, like the Seahawks before Russell Wilson uh, as an under five hundred uh, NFC West winner, winning a, a wild card game because Marshawn Lynch. Like it's possible, man. I just don't know if I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's uh, you're right. I don't know if that's something you want to see. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those things. It's like the Cinderella story in in March madness. It's like, Oh my God, like Duke gets knocked off as a two seed in the first round. Like, wow, what an amazing game. Like what a cool victory for Lehigh. And then (laughs) by 30 in the second round, you're like, wow, I really wish Duke was still in the tournament. (laughs) Exactly. Right. We always, we always want to see the upsets until then we see that team like come back to life in the next round. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's what we, that's what we really, we rooted for. (laughs) Yeah. We, we wanted this. We were rooting for this. No way. I'm out. All right, let's move on to the AFC. A lot more moving and shaking possibilities with their six through seven playoff seeds. We already went through it a little bit. If the Colts win, they're in. If the Chargers or Raiders win, uh, they're in. But if the Colts lose and the Steelers win, the Steelers are in. If the Ravens, blah, 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 right? Is there any one particular team you want to point to there? Uh, like, do you want to hammer home how the Colts should dominate the Jaguars? Like, where do you even want to go with this? Because I'm not sure what's the most interesting here outside of the Chargers and Raiders facing off after the Chargers were hyped up all along. Raiders were not hyped up because of their their woes as a franchise, if you will. I don't really even know what's the most interesting here. I don't know what I want to happen. I think I just want the Colts and Chargers in. Yeah, um, I, I'll go this way with it. Um, you know, even though I just told you before that everybody fell in love with them, including me and most people, again, everybody, uh, that's the reason why I bet Vegas because it was too many points. 
I kind of think the the Colts are maybe the darkest horse to get to the Super Bowl this year. I think they have a real shot of coming out of the AFC, definitely getting to the AFC championship game. And I think you pit them up against Buffalo, Cincinnati, Tennessee. They can beat all three of them on the road in the first round of the playoffs. And even if they get paired up with Kansas City, they'd give them a hell of a fight. And I don't think they're going to get paired up with Kansas City. Um, the only way I think that happens is if the yeah, cause if if the, if they win, they get the six at the worst, right? Even if the Chargers or the Raiders win, the Colts Correct. have the six at worst. So they're going to either play. It looks like um, Cincinnati or Buffalo, most likely. Um, if the, or if the Chiefs lose and the Bengals win, then they would get the Chiefs, but that's unlikely because Joe Burrow's not playing with them again. Yeah, that is true. And again, we can play matchmaker with every yeah, single right. different result. <laughs> the the point is, the point is with how Kansas City, how good the Kansas City Chiefs have looked, and they're back to their Super Bowl form. I don't think I, I I'm not going to confidently say the Colts would beat them in the first round. Outside of that, Cincinnati, Buffalo, New England, um, or Tennessee, they can beat any single one of those teams on the road. It does not matter. Um, I've been a huge fan of how they've turned the season around. Carson Wentz has been exactly what you want Carson Wentz to be this year. Barely has thrown any interceptions. I think he's only at six on the year. Um, he's limited the mistakes. You know, he's made great decisions. And then, of course, you have an MVP candidate in Jonathan Taylor running behind a, an offensive line with a bunch of all pros. And that defense, which just gets after it. Darius Leonard. You know, we saw the bottom, the rock bottom point of the Colts this year when their entire secondary got wiped out and they blew that gigantic lead against the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night. Ever since then, this se- their season has skyrocketed. And week in and week out, they give you max effort. They give you great football. Frankie Reich has done a tremendous job coaching. Uh, Ibraflus has been a great defensive coordinator for them. I love the Colts. I think, again, they're, they're one of the livest dogs in the playoffs. Yeah, they are a team. Like we were talking about the Saints being like annoying if their defense just shows up and shuts you down. The Colts are the uh, antithesis of that in the sense that they can run the ball and shut you down and just make you not have the ball at all throughout a game if they just control the clock and do all those things. I'm happy that you've come around on Carson Wentz, as I have as well. Uh, I had this conversation with Kyle last week like because I did the pod two weeks ago by myself about Carson Wentz's new narrative that he deserves because he's not turning it over. He's doing all the things we asked him. He still makes his mistakes. He still does his negatives, uh, but he has been doing a lot of the things we all – said he needed to do one year ago. So he deserves credit for that. Um, but they're a team that can really just make it miserable for an opposition if they just control the ball and he limits those mistakes and that defense comes out hot. Um, in regards to that upper echelon there with the Titans, the Chiefs, and the Bengals, the Bengals cannot get the one seed, um, but the Chiefs can, right? And the Titans can. And Derrick Henry is apparently like practicing and might be back and might be ready to go. What do you make of the Titan situation? Cause they've had one of the weirdest seasons that I can remember where, you know, they start off whatever, then all of a sudden they go on a run, they beat everybody in front of them. And then Derrick Henry goes down. It's like, they're going to fall apart. They look terrible for a couple weeks. And then all of a sudden go on another run. Did they beat incredibly impressive teams? Not super frequently, but they took care of business and they might be the freaking one seed. Can you believe it with the season they've had with the ups and downs without Derrick Henry that they are in a position to beat the Texans and be the number one seed in the AFC? No, I mean, it's crazy. You know, you, you got to give got to give Vrabel a ton of credit and you got to give Deonta Foreman and this offensive line a ton of credit where they've had some shuffling pieces. 
um, you know, kind of all season when Taylor Lewan went down again, Roger Saffold battled COVID their center, Ben Jones um, was kind of battling as well. And um, all throughout, you know, the beginning of the year, obviously they blew everybody's nips off. They were undefeated against teams that had made the playoffs last year. Then Derrick Henry gets hurt. They go into a rut and we kind of just stuff them in our back pocket. And we were like, ah, all right, forget about Tennessee. We'll see if they even make it to the playoffs at the end of the year. Lo and behold, here they are. Like you said, a win against the Houston Texans. They have the number one seed. They have the bye, And then you get a fresh Derrick Henry in a home playoff game um, for the divisional round of the playoffs. I do. They wrap it up on Sunday. You're looking at one win, get you in the conference championship if you're the Tennessee Titans and uh, maybe a chance for a rematch with the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, I, I, you got to give them a ton of credit. And this defense, too, a defense that came in that was, you know, they gave all the money uh, to the skill set position players, right? You you bring in uh, you bring in Julio Jones. They give the, the big contract to A.J. Brown, another guy that's been hurt. And, you know, again, this defense was kind of ignored and there was a lot of questions being asked to them. Christian Fulton's been tremendous. The secondary Kevin Byard's a pro bowler. They have stepped up Bud Dupree, which I mean, who knows if we're going to see Bud Dupree the play after the misdemeanor charge, he just got slapped with uh, for an altercation at Walmart and, and the front three too, like Jeffrey Simmons, absolute stud. Denique Autry. I remember him from his time last year in Indianapolis, those two guys on the edge, I mean, this Tennessee defense might be better than their offense, which I never thought I'd be saying this year. And they, they've just been a fun watch. They've been a fun watch altogether. So, um, you know, they obviously don't pack a fire firework punch um, like the Kansas City Chiefs do or, you know, in my opinion, like the Colts have the last couple of weeks. But that all can change with, with King Henry. And, again, you get a fresh Derrick Henry running, running in the cold in the middle of January. Look out because they're another team that, you know, that's a, that's a team I do not want to play in the playoffs. And we say that, you know, teams who fit that mold, Pete, great running teams who can, like you said, grind you down by running the football 40, 45 times a game and teams that play bend but don't break defenses. Colts one, Titans another, both in the same division, both fun teams to watch. And I think just as important as Derrick Henry coming back is A.J. Brown getting that extra week of rest. Cause yes. Man, when he came back and took over that game, um, what was it against the Niners? His first game back on a Thursday night. Yeah. It's what we all missed. And every fantasy owner of AJ Brown who picked him in the second or third or fourth round and relied on him. And he just kept throwing up dud after dud came back from the injury and went bonkers on that Thursday night football game. He is the key. I know Derrick Henry gets the most of the credit when he's healthy, which he deserves a crap ton of it. But to have A.J. Brown take a slant for 60, to moss somebody down the line and finish a, a, a run strong into the end zone, like that's the added component that makes Derrick Henry and, and Ryan Tannehill, more importantly, special. When one of those components is missing, everybody seems off, right? But even without Derrick Henry, with A.J. Brown, they were able to pack an offensive punch. So I know everybody's all excited, but I think there needs to be some sort of hesitation with just crowning the, the crown right back on uh, on King Henry there because you got to see what he looks like, right? He might not look great off the rip. So A.J. Brown being healthy to me is the key for them. And if he's ripping, they can, they can put up points quick, and that's something that was uh, missing for them for a big portion of this season. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give you that. That is, that is a fair point, and that's a good argument. That's a good debate. 
um, you know, that I feel like we're having here. You think AJ Brown is the key. I think Derrick Henry's still the key for them. Um, but you know, again, obviously another guy that it comes down to Ken Ryan Tannehill, but the guy in the playoffs, you know, we've seen them rely on the run game to beat New England to be up double digits against Kansas city and then blow it. Um, you know, if Ryan Tannehill is able to, uh, you know, give you an extra layer of performance that you're not expecting, then you don't even have to rely that much on the run. And then that makes the run obviously that much more dangerous if Ryan Tannehill is thrown for 300 yards. But, you know, how many times this year we see Ryan Tannehill, you know, kind of just log a, a 14 for 23 for 145 yard game, right? Like, you know, sooner or later, he's going to have to step up if they want to have a chance to to finally get to the Super Bowl, which I feel like with the Titans – we were all like, yeah, yeah, they could make the Super Bowl, but nobody really kind of believes it with them. At least I don't. No one believes they could even like win a game almost in the playoffs. I feel like everybody still thinks that they're the weakest link in the AFC, especially the ones at the top. Obviously, you can argue. Which is crazy because they literally they literally started the year as seven and zero against seven playoff teams from last year. Yeah, yeah, and then they were they had no. There was a point where they were playing without Julio, without AJ Brown, and without Derrick Henry. You know, so it, it makes a lot of sense that they couldn't score for a while. <laughs> and that Ryan Tannehill looked like shit. Like that all makes sense, actually, when you really think about it, you know, but they, I, I, I like, I'm kind of there too. Like I am giving them a dark horse chance as a one seed. They shouldn't be a dark horse. They should be the horse. They should be the bright horse. Is that the, uh, the opposite? The bright you know, horse. They should be the odds on favorite. They, in theory, right? In theory, but now it's still the Chiefs. Uh, it's the Bills and the Bengals and maybe the Patriots. And I don't know. Uh, let, let's do that last uh, two more things really quick. Bills, Patriots, they're tied at 10 6. They both need to win. Bills get the Jets. Patriots get the Dolphins. They both should win. Pat's six and a half point favorites. Jets, I'm sorry, Bills, 16 and a half point favorites. Is this going to go chalk here? Is there is there a possible upset in either the Dolphins or the Jets here? Oh, I like Miami to, uh, to definitely give you a fight. I mean, are they, at this point, Miami's eliminated, right? There's no chance they can get in. Yeah, they've, they were eliminated. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't think that means that they're just gonna lie down and die, right? Like they are playing this game in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like, yeah, every single year it's the last week you get it in Miami, Dolphins, Patriots. Um, I don't think they're just gonna lay down and die. I think they wanna spoil um, you know, New England not being able to win the division as much as possible. I think if, after the seven game winning streak that they ripped off, um, for them to lose the way they did against Tennessee. I don't think they're just, you know, Brian Flores, the way that he has coached them, the way how hard they play, they're not just going to say, all right, screw it, let's just fucking lay down and let New England crush us in our own stadium. I think they're going to give the the Patriots a fight. I wouldn't be surprised if they win, uh, especially the way that the defense has played. If you can force Mac Jones to have to come from behind, and if you force Mac Jones to have to throw 30, 35 times a game, I've said it all year long. That's New England's weakness. If they can stack the box and stop the run and you force New England to be a throw first team, that's how you beat them. And you beat them by getting ahead early and, um, you know, not making mental mistakes. So I think that game's going to be close. Um, I think that six and a half is a little too high for my liking. You may see a Patty B same game teaser um, on Sunday. It might even see me take the Miami straight up if it gets the seven. So. Um, but no, I think the Jets have no chance. As good as they looked against Tampa Bay last week, um, I think Buffalo has has hit their stride. I've said Buffalo is my Super Bowl team uh, from the beginning. Um, I'm not going to you know abandon them even through uh, through thick or thin here. So I think the Bills absolutely take care of business, win the AFC East, and are off and running. But I do like Miami to to give New England a lot of a lot of problems. 
Yeah, it felt like a last hurrah for the Jets last week, given the Bucks a run and almost kind of upsetting them and then blowing it with Antonio Brown and the whole <laughs> the whole dramatics that came along with that game. But it felt like that was kind of their last sprint, their last little kick at the end there. So I don't know if they have much in them too. Unless unless Zach Wilson can continue to play well like he has the last two weeks. You know, he, he was great with his legs. I know it's, it's Jacksonville, but he was great with his legs against the Jaguars. And he, you know, um, I think he only had one turnover in that game and then didn't turn the ball over at all against Tampa Bay. You know, and, and the Buccaneers are obviously trying to win that game. So yeah. uh, he looked great. And his he was, you know, zipping throws in for the first time. It looked like he was just going, dropping back and throwing it, not giving a shit, just gripping it and ripping it, not caring where it goes, not being afraid to make five-yard throws over the middle. Um, so if he can show you that again, and he did that without his top three receivers. You know, he did that without Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and Jamison Crowdy. He was doing a Berrios and, a, and a, you know, guys I've never even heard of, Kenny Yaboa and Jeff Smith. So right. um, if, if Zach Wilson plays well against on Sunday, you know, maybe the Jets can keep it close for the first half. I just – I don't see them stopping Buffalo. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, last thing here, assuming Joe Burrow is healthy going into the playoffs, no matter what seed they're in, how are you feeling about the Bengals right now? You feeling confident or you're feeling like they're way too up and down to uh, actually make some playoff noise? I think the last two weeks has everybody up on the Bengals. Um, and I know my guy, Jason Lockenfora from CBS Sports says that he's there. Uh, they're his dark horse to win the Super Bowl. Um, I think they have been too, too much up and down again, the last two weeks who has everybody up on them. I don't think they can win a, uh, I, to me, I'm going to put them as the team that isn't tough enough to go out and win a playoff game, um, on the road. If need be, you know, they've locked up a home playoff game for the first time. Even then I can see, you know, again, I can see the Colts going in there and beating them in their own building. I can see the Chargers going in there and getting into a slugfest with them and getting into a 38-35 game with them. They blew them out already a couple of weeks ago in the season. I can see the Chargers doing it again. I can absolutely see the Patriots going into Cincinnati and beating them. So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not very high on the Bengals. Burrow's been fantastic. He's done for almost 1,000 yards in the last two games. Jamar Chase is an absolute stud. Mixon's been great. Um, you know, they've got three guys right there that are in the top five in yards and touchdowns in their respective positions. To me, I just, I'm not ready to, I don't think the Bengals are going to get it done. Yeah, I'm with you. It's just a little bit too volatile for the playoffs. I like the Chiefs to win last week. That was one of my picks as well that I didn't mention in the recap. And the Chiefs, man, like they, they had that in the bag for a long portion of that game. And Jamar Chase being the dude that he is and Burrow being the dude he is, they made a sick comeback and they deserve credit. However, it doesn't inspire playoff confidence to me. It inspires a fun playoff matchup where I don't know if they have enough to to make a run and win more than one game in a row if one at all. Uh, so yeah, I think that I think that pretty much covers it, Pat. I think I don't know. Oh, we didn't even talk about the Ch the Chargers and the Raiders. Let's just talk about that and then we'll say goodnight. Chargers Raiders. The game is in Las Vegas. The Chargers are three point favorites at Vegas, which is a little bit of a shocking number to me. When I first saw that number, Pat, I was really surprised it wasn't two and a half. You know, they're giving the hook. Is that is that teasing you? Is that uh, in trying to entice you or the betting public to take the three points for the Raiders? Or do they think that the public is just so in love with the Chargers, they have to make it three to try to even it out? I'm not sure exactly how to read that line, but when I saw the three and not a two and a half in Vegas, I definitely put my eyebrows up and was a bit confused. I think... 
I think it would be at three and a half because I think there's going to be a, a bunch of sharp money coming in on Vegas. Mm. Um, I think we have kind of just like by default fallen in love with Justin Herbert, uh, especially what they did in the offense at the beginning of the year, beating Kansas City. That we and, and again with all the problems Vegas has had too, Gruden, Rugs, like Rich Bisaccia has a chance to make the playoffs. Like we don't we don't want to believe that that can happen. We've kind of just programmed by default to think ah Herbert's going to win this game. I like Vegas. I think they're a team that has been through the ringer. They've been through, um, you know, a nightmare of a fucking season that when push has come to shove, they have not backed down with Darren Waller out, with Josh Jacobs out at times this year. They have just found ways to win football games. I, I think a guy that never gets enough credit is Derek Carr. I would not be surprised if the Raiders win this game. And again, I think you're going to see a ton of sharp money kind of keep this at three or below. Uh, whereas if it was public and sharp, this would already be at three and a half. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a hell of a game no matter what. You know, the the thing is, the Chargers, they had their little bout of COVID two weeks ago when they lost to Houston. They've got everybody back. So with a full arsenal of weapons, it's going to be tough. Derek Carr is going to have to put together the game of his life. He's going to have to throw for 350 yards because um, as, as much as Vegas' defense has stood up to the challenge at times this year with Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, um, again, LA's got their full arsenal coming on Sunday. So if Vegas wants to beat them, they're probably going to have to beat them in a shootout. I don't see them holding the chargers under 24 points, 28 points. Uh, car's going to have to really, you know, put it, lay it all out there for Vegas. That's a game that I look forward to greatly. And I actually, I have, uh, joined a back in the Hoboken area. I joined a little men's league basketball. And can you believe that the first game of the freaking year, Pat, is that 8.30 on Sunday night? Get the hell out of here. Isn't that rude? Isn't that just rude? Don't they know that I have to watch Chargers Raiders? Got to have my phone up on the sideline checking in. You know, got maybe we'll get the whole team. My whole squad will put put some uh, action on the Raiders plus three. I, I, I kind of like your, your mindset there, and it kind of backs up my initial fishiness on that line, right? Because I was like, hmm, they're leaving that plus three out there? Like, are they saying to take the three? Are they saying to that the Chargers are actually going to win this? Like, you got to kind of see where the spread of the money's at um, by Saturday, Sunday morning. So uh, we'll, we'll see if I make that one of my picks. Right now, I'm a little nervous. I, I don't know. I'm a little bit not too confident there, but I do like your ra- your rationale. And I think it's making me lean towards the Raiders there a little bit. Maybe it is a close one, even if it is a shootout. Yeah, I, well, I think this. I think if you like the Chargers, no matter what, um, to me, this spread really couldn't get high enough. I know we always, we always get scared of seeing the three and the three and a half. I think if the chargers win this game, they win it by a touchdown or more. Um, but if you like the Raiders, you know, again, I would probably just end up buying the half a point, you know, cause I, I think you get it to three and a half. I think if you like the chargers to me, it doesn't, you couldn't, you know, it doesn't matter. I would take it at three because I think if they if the chargers do win, they win it by a touchdown or more, you know, maybe Vegas's offense and car doesn't show up at the chargers put up 35 points and they win like 35, 24, 35, 27. But um, yeah, I think if you like the Raiders, you know, there's no, there's no hurt in buying an extra half a point for that, getting it to three and a half. That way you feel safe, even if they do end up losing by a field goal. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this is uh, – it's not as just cut and dry as saying, okay, Herbert and Herbert's going to get it done. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And Herbert, you know, if you haven't been watching closely, hasn't been super sharp in the past couple weeks. Like he hasn't been the Herbert who was throwing up just masterpieces, right? Like he had the big game against 
the Bengals, but then he had people out. It was kind of ugly. Like he hasn't been flawless lately. Like, like we all wanted to think of him as for a long time. And right now I'm seeing on pregame.com a slight spread of, of money in favor of the chargers, but that could have been what got it from the open at minus two to minus three. And then this is where perhaps some of those sharps you're thinking of. And I'm thinking of can strike why it's at three. And, you know, to, to us normies out here, to us square betters, I, I, I like to at least think that Pat, you and I are somewhere in between. We're not quite full fledged squares, but we're definitely not in the sharp category yet. I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think you can really argue and debate how this is at three and what that means exactly. But I think we'll get more information as we get closer to Sunday. If that starts to flip, we might be back at two and a half in a blink. Yeah. Going to be very interesting. Definitely going to be very interesting to see. I, I don't, th- I don't see this getting outside of um, minus two to minus three and a half. I don't think you ever see it get to four. I don't think you see it to get to one and a half. So it's going to stay in between two and three and a half. Yeah, and to us, like I was going to say this before, I forgot. Us normies, us squares, the half point sometimes doesn't feel like a big deal. That point doesn't feel like a big deal. But to these sharp guys, man, that stuff is huge. Like you listen to Warren Sharp on the Ringer Gambling Show, and he talks about over-unders that are at 41 and a half versus 42. He's like, oh, it's at 42 now? No, I can't take it now. I'm like, what? Like, come on, guy. You were just like saying how crazy you felt about it here, but now like it blows our minds. But yeah, that's why they do it for a living, and we do it semi kind of for a living a little bit yeah anyways subway sports talk that's all we got any last words pat boyle for i got subway sports talk here i got no, i got nothing man i'm ready for football saturday sunday monday for the next uh two weeks monday oh sorry excuse me i'm ready for saturday, football sunday. saturday sunday and then saturday yeah. sunday monday first round of the playoffs is there a monday night playoff game on the first yes week? you just got me excited i thought there was three and three saturday sunday no, you get you get two, three, and one. Oh, wow. What an exciting time to be alive. I'm so excited for more football action. We got a little basketball action in today's episode as well. We'll be back next week with some more. We'll also be back on Subway Sports Talk on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter with our picks. And right now I do have the total. I am at 44, 40, and one. Pat, you said 35 and 50. Yeah, I think I, I dropped like one or two games out of there somewhere along the way. I'm 35 and 50 because it's been 17 weeks, so 85 picks. Yes, and now we uh we are total together. That brings us to 79, 90, and 1. So if we both can get winning weeks here, Pat, we can get close to that 500 marker, and I think a good challenge for ourselves is to get to 500 by the end of the season. I think we can yeah. do it. I think uh, we can pull it. Absolutely. You still have, you have plenty of games in the playoffs, so. Let's ride. All right, y'all. Subway Sports Talk. Thanks for listening. Pat Boyle, Pete Kennedy. You know what it is. Cheers.